Welcome to Writers Talking TV, brought to you by the Writers Guild of Canada. I'm Bruce Smith, a showrunner and writer. Some of the shows I've worked on include 19-2, Cracked, King, Durham County, and I've also written movies, including John A., Birth of a Country. Today I'll be speaking with Lee Lukens and Adam Petal, showrunners of The Detail. The show is about three women homicide detectives who try and solve crimes while navigating complicated personal lives. All three find the realities of cop life, both on and off the job, more than a little messy. Here's my conversation with Lee Lukens and Adam Petal, recorded at Tiff Bell Lightbox in Toronto. We're going to screen the pilot, so we're just going to do a couple of basic questions first, and then we'll watch the show, and then we'll come up and talk about something you've seen. Um, and, uh, and then we'll throw to you for questions from the audience for the end of the house. So the first question I wanted to ask was you two have worked together before a fair bit. Can you tell me a bit about that, about how you came to be co-show runners? Well, we met on Rookie Blue, uh, which is another amazing cop show that had a fantastic run. Uh, we were both very junior. I was like a, I think a junior story editor and Lee was an assistant. And um, both so eager and amazed to be making a living writing that we were both the first, we were the first to arrive and the last to leave. And so we had great conversations about all the things we couldn't talk about when everyone was in the room. Um, and yeah, and then we worked together for two seasons on Rookie Blue and then didn't work together for several years, and then Lee came to work on Saving Hope, which was uh, a show that I co-ran with Morwen Brebner, um, and then ran on my own for a couple of years. And then was, Lee was developing the detail while working on Saving Hope, writing amazing episodes, and like working weekends, and in every spare moment to write this show, uh, several versions of the pilot that you'll see. And then the show got ordered, and I was asked to come co-show run with Lee. And was that part of the, like, how did the show come to be, to be greenlit? You started to adapt, develop the show? Um, yeah, I, uh, Alana Frank came to me, and she had um, the project sort of already going um, with CTV. And um, she asked me to develop it, and so... Um, about a year and a half of developing it, um, it got an, an order from CTV, and then we brought on an American broadcaster, and that's kind of how it all came together. And where were you when you got the green light? How f far in development were you? How many scripts did you have? Um, well, we had two scripts in development, but um, we ended up bumping one of those scripts to later in the season, and lots of different things changed when Adam came on, so... Um, there was sort of two initial scripts, but uh, they're they're different than they were. So in a lot of ways, this really was a co-show running in terms of developing the whole show, not just the producing of it. it was, I mean, it very much was Lee's right. show and came out of Lee's brain and um, inspired by and and uh, it was this this show Scott and Bailey was um, the kind of inspiration for it, the British British series, and but it was very much Lee's show that I came on to. Yeah, I meant more you were able to join the process early enough to see it grow and be organic instead of that catch-up no, situation no. some of us come into. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, well, ideally, I'd let's um, watch the, uh, the pilot, and then we'll have more to talk about. So that was the pilot. You guys shot it last summer. It's finally airing now, so it's been a long wait. Um, I mean, the, the most, uh, there's a few questions I have that I'll link that come to one of the most interesting things I found about watching in the show, which is the mix of the procedural and the serialized, particularly the character arcs. Um, and you could really see in this episode, and it happens in future episodes, you know, within the episode, you've constructed them so they deliberately resonate. So one of the characters is going through something that allows her to identify or not identify with a victim or a killer. But you're also, you know, juggling traditional police procedurals with really quite intense character arcs, particularly for the, for the two female, two of the three female leads. Um, how did you build it? How did you put that together? What was your room like and what was your process of building an episode? 
Um, I think our process was very similar to most rooms. Um, we came in with sort of a broad idea of what it was going to look like, and it immediately died on the floor, and everyone had much better ideas. Um, and then we kind of built it from there. We talked, I would say, for a little while at the beginning about character arcs and where we thought um, people should go, and um, cases came from all sorts of places. They came from, you know, ripped from the headlines, some of them. Um, some people, Katrina Seville, who's in the audience, <laughs> came in with a story that was very near and dear to her heart and based in um, volunteer work that she does. So it, it was kind of, it, it sort of the cases and the, the procedural elements came from, you know, a variety, whatever inspired people. And then the character stuff, we all just sort of knocked out together in the room and it changed as as the show got up on its feet and we saw the actors' performances, we sort of, you know, adjusted here and there and, you know, argued over who should kiss who and when they should kiss each other and if they should kiss each other and, you know, all that fun stuff. How much, I got, I'm going to follow up in specifics. Um, partly it's the mix of, you know, when you're just doing a weekly procedural, you sort of build from the act breaks back. And when you're just doing serialized, you know when your big emotional events are, and then you're building around them. This is, involves some of both, I would assume. How much did you guys have the big emotional turns semi-fixed, and did they move much, or did they stay? <clears throat> they stayed, they, they, they did stay. We had kind of guideposts, you know, that we, that Lee actually came in with that, that pretty much they shifted a bit. But was, what was different for me working on this than other cop shows was that it really was so firmly rooted in the POV of our, our two leads. And kind of what made it so exciting was that the character, we had such a great room of, of writers who really focused on character and what happens next and what would actually happen next as opposed to building two act breaks or... Um, you know, we, we obviously needed to hopefully keep it interesting and um, and surprising, but but really it was rooted in in character, which for me was so um, it just made it, it just it just made it so alive and real and um, yeah and and fun to write. Yeah, I mean it's lovely to see as you as you watch the season, the order of the episodes matters. Um, one of the things that I found was really interesting was they very successfully sort of wrapped things up at the end of the season and set things up so they could go anywhere in season two really effectively. But in the meantime, you know, the story of what Jack just went through this episode, well, that's happened in a particular order. She's going to be affected by it differently next week, and if I miss an episode, I'm going to notice it, which is a lovely thing in a way in an, an evolution of network drama to you know, now we can watch them online, we can catch an episode we missed, so you can do that, while still giving a really satisfying self-contained episode. Um, I guess I'll follow up on your point about writing through the characters. So in the publicity, there's a quote about, you know, this is an unabashedly female view of the world. How did you find that affected, the, the evolution of the show, or what did that mean in practice? And I'm going to preface that. The cop show I just came off, for the last two seasons, it was all women in the room. And except for me, and writing, you know, very strong female characters, but in a masculine world, very different from this. They weren't, the, the female identity was subsumed to the male identity, and the women had lots to say about it. Um, how did you find taking a cop show and writing it with not just the two leads, but really you pushed that third lead is, is quite unique how much the Fiona character functions as distinctly more important than the ensemble not quite a part of the duo. Anything on that? I'll let the, the woman, uh, the two of us. <laughs> um, I mean, we had sort of, I think, we had lots of men and lots of women in our room. I don't know if we ever really sat down and said, this is a show about three women and let's, how do us, how do women think? Like, I don't know, no, I no, think. No, no. no I'm, I'm asking more organically, unconsciously of looking back in hindsight, what effects you might not have expected or saw or what happened, what came out of the show? I think it probably, in terms of in the room, conversations that maybe you wouldn't otherwise have. Um, like I think the sexual politics came up more. I think there was, 
definitely one character that polarized the room in a way that I could have never anticipated where every single man was on one side and every single woman was on another side. And neither side would budge and neither side, and to this day, I think we all stand firm. Like, and it was amazing because it was it was The really character was Mark Savage. <laughs> you know, that, that that relationship and how much of a prick he was or how lovable he was or if he was, if, you know, Jack was at home. But yeah, just like kind of what kind of dude he was. So is there a subtextual conversation between the writers happening here about him? Are you shooting jabs at each other in the script? No, I don't. I, I think, you know, we're pretty be. open on how each other feels. But it was just, it was an interesting, you know, it was very... It was just a, an interesting dialogue, and it was interesting that all the women and all the men were, it was just polarizing, and I would have never anticipated. I mean, to think of the amount of time that we spent talking about something that actually was not. And then the actors come in, and you know, like I think the, for me, the, the biggest difference was the flip of I remember there was a, there's a scene in my episode the next episode where there's three the three women walk by the three men who are not accessories but they're they're having like a little gab and it it was just flipped on its head and you see finally male actors asking questions that female actors have been asking for you know decades in cop shows why and do I uh, have to wear those heels yeah kind of you know or like why it, you know it's not about you and it was so great that I mean, it, it is about them, and hopefully we've created three-dimensional men um, who grow throughout the season, but it wasn't their show. And I found it really great working with the act, working with you know, male and female actors in, in kind of flipped roles. And that, how do you, since you've gone there, how do you handle the, the co-show running in terms of that? Once the writing's done, when do you get the writing done? How long is the room running? Are we done now? We just finished. <laughs> right, right. Was the room running well into production? Yeah, I would say the room, I mean, some people left. Yeah. Some people's contracts um, ended and some people cycled in later on in the season. But um, it was, I, you know, there was writers until probably two weeks before we wrapped. And Sarah Goodman was there until the very the bit she was the she was a writer on the show and and also she also um story coordinated and she was you know as all story coordinators last man standing <laughs> yeah. and uh, i mean just having it, it really is a job for two people <laughs> i i think and and um having done solo and co it's just you uh, i found that you could really enjoy and get more out of the show running job having, I mean, Lee is brilliant. And knowing that you have such a wing person that we could, we could, you know, Lee could be on set or I could go to casting. We also had, you know, phenomenal writers who could, who could take care of themselves most of the time. So it really, it, it's a far more, that's way nicer to have a buddy. Yeah, well, and especially in a first season, that connection between the ideas of the writing room and the reality of the set is so important. How did you deal with it? I mean, apparently you were on set some because you were enjoying the actors. Did you, was the writer of the episode on set? Did you assign somebody? Was it sort of haphazard and you were just kept a rotating present? Um, generally, the writer of the episode was on set. Um, so they generally, they would see their episode all through prep and then they would go and, and be there for set in case the actors had any questions and, um. Yeah, and I think we had things, like I think our, our, what we like, like I like, I love going to casting, I love talking, I went to theater school twice, so I figure I should use some of that acting training, I'm a terrible, that's, terrible that's actor, why I, but. I'm the same, casting is my chance. I, love, I just like, yeah, it's like, you know, and, and, and I love talking to actors about, I find the best story editing often is from, you know, it's Wendy Crewson tripping over a line twice, and you're like, it's, it's us, it's not Wendy Yeah, Crewson. or four great actors come in and the scene's still a dud, well, it's the scene, it's the scene. I think our, our, you know, what we what we dig about the job complemented each other for the most part too. Oh my god! And it was like having never done it before. I'm, I'm, I mean, and to have Adam be sort of the person guiding me through. I mean, you're brilliant. 
Okay, speaking of brilliant, you have three amazing leads. How'd you get them? Wow. <laughs> I look at Tom Hastings because it was a process. It was a, an, a, a group, a real, and Tom Hastings, who's, who you, you all know, I'm sure, um, and Kathleen, they really didn't settle. And Alana, who's our uh, amazing producer, really wanted to get the show cast. So we knew who those people were, but it was it was a pretty wide search. Um, Angela was cast first, I think, out of the UK. Shanae, you know, I mean, it just it lives and dies with you know writing and casting, and so, and especially in a piece like this, and so it was a very. Uh, tireless and I think you know I think who we ended up with we couldn't be luckier well and in this show it's not just the leads I mean they you could they could sink you completely but having great leads you know I was watching the show and thinking and, and I often try to when you're trying to start a new Canadian show you're usually on a tight budget and I'm usually trying to think so what is this show going to do exceptionally well because you can pick something and do it exceptionally well. And so watching the detail, I felt, okay, this show has picked big scenes for that. The, the money is in big scenes, confessions, breakups, interrogations. It's not a stock, okay, it's the interrogation room, but it's going to be big scenes, which makes the day player casting like fundamentally important and the guest star casting, because you may only have three scenes, but one of them's going to be big. Seven minutes long. Yeah. And... So I presume you've spent a lot of time in casting, partly because of that. Yeah. And was that was that conscious? Did you guys set out to do that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's, I assume. Yeah, that, that we have talked about those interrogation scenes. You know, in the original in Scott and Bailey too, they are the the action sequences of the show. And you know, I, I come from a playwriting background and feel like those two handers, if you can hold an audience for, I mean, they started way longer <laughs> than like. You know, I think that the final, how long was it, like, on the page? The final Alina? It was seven pages. And as we went along, we sort of realized um, how uh, exhausting that was for the actors to learn and, and how exhausting it was to shoot. So we did end up, you know, making those a little bit shorter. But um, And then did you tighten them on the page and in post or mainly on the page? Um, and did you learn any lessons in terms of the show from this first season of that model of the difficulties of casting? Because there's some spectacular casting to come. There's some really, really exceptional performances um, along the way. Do, or, no, it worked. We'll just do it again. Uh, no, I do think we learned about like how much we can hang on. You know, I think we really went full hog on the interrogation scenes especially in first drafts of stuff and, and that we have dialed back or found different ways you know in, in the episode that Katrina wrote it's it's like kind of intercut way more intercut there's more you know just playing with how also talking to directors and playing with how we could you know keep them alive and moving even inside a very static room well and that's what's so if you can pull off those great big scenes that are two-handers you can afford to make a show in a lot of ways, because that's it's cost-efficient, big drama. Um, oh, I've forgotten the question I was going to ask. So, let me talk about uh, go back to that third lead. How did you? How? What's the evolution of that character? Because she's quite unique and interesting. Not in you know, she's the boss. She's an archetype, but she's used in a much more present way than most cop shows. She's on sight. She's out. In. Was that a natural evolution? Were you looking for it? Is it? Um, I think so. I mean, I think we even if you know we'd have liked to have used her even more than we did. Um, Wendy, who um, is so amazing, she did so much research into that character. She spent a lot of time with um, a woman who holds that position. And um, she modeled, you know, down to how she had wanted her office um, on set, how, how, I mean, how she wore her hair. Everything about her was so rooted in authenticity and reality that um, I think we found ourselves more and more drawn to 
um, getting to know that character and but also um, it's it's not often that we get to kind of see inside the private life of a woman who holds that high of a position. And so um, it was kind of fun to tell the story from the perspective of the the boss. Yeah, I mean, to be also like, you know, Wendy, we had, we had a couple scenes early on where, where Wendy shared, or Fiona shared more about her personal life and um, mm-hmm. we had kind of had more character, you know, personal strands and Wendy came into our offices and, and spoke so so eloquently about not wanting to bring that early on because she felt like she couldn't, uh, being a woman in that position, she wouldn't share it or it would be way harder to, or, you know, so we kind of calibrated things with the help of Wendy too. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things I love about drama coming out of acting like you is that ability to have a long-term relationship between the character and the person playing them and to start to write into their strengths and to you don't hand away the character but you can add so much to it from the real people playing it Mm -hmm. um and going into looking forward if you do a season two do you feel you learned a lot about those key characters that would affect you going forward and anything you can share not plot wise just in terms of the relationship with the actors i mean for me it was just seeing how much they can do and all the different colors all three of them are are like really really dynamic um performers and you don't know that going in and and so it's like wow you know angela in episode six which i co-wrote with joe pernice who's wonderful uh like uh, angela just you know it was very it's a very stevie um centered episode and she just you know showed me showed us things and played scenes where you were like oh my god like I didn't see that, and we're halfway through the season. And so I think it's just that anything is possible with all three of them. And they're so game and so emotionally available that it's exciting, you know. So with all these leads and all these guest stars and all these big scenes, how do you serve and set up the ensemble and get them running? I mean, it's always a struggle. I'm struggling with it right now in something. I'm wondering, maybe I should fold two of them into one because I just don't have time. How it's a, it's a struggle. They're a lovely cast. They come up even in the pilot. They all have presence. But how do you approach it, knowing that they're getting a raw deal by the nature of the beast, unless you can fix it? That's a good question. Um, I'm really looking for help here, so I'm hoping. Well. The raw deal mostly fell to the men, which I thought was we were okay with, you know, because you know, they, they've been they've had it good for for a long, long, long careers. So I felt I felt better about you know, Maddie Gordon slowly get you know, and it and it is discussions with the actors saying, you know, not bullshitting, but a little bit like in season three, like you you what you're what's coming down the pipe. <laughs> not that you know, I, I, my wife's an actor, my brother's not. I wouldn't lie to the actors, but we got it. We have to set up our three leads, and then season four, Donnie Donnie's gonna <laughs> come alive. It's gonna be a Donnie season. Um, yes. <laughs> so you lie to them, Bruce. You lie. Yeah, I guess the trick. Buy stuff. I remember one of one of my leads saying to one of the semi-regulars, and I overheard it, and I was like, that's great, I'm going to use it over, you're really lucky, because on this show, you won't get much time, but when it's your turn, you'll be on the spotlight. You'll get your moment, and it'll be about you, you won't just be servicing someone else. And I thought, that's actually, if I could manage to remember and do that, that would be the right way to approach it, but it's hard, especially early in a season one, where it's not their turn. So finding those little scenes, like <clears throat> the little two-handed, you know, scenes where you can learn a ton about a character, or or get get like um, kind of teased with, like Donnie says one thing about himself, and you're like, oh, I want to, you know, like finding little things that pop in very, you know, while they're staking something out in a half-page scene, where you're like, oh, I want to know more about that character, and then in season four you learn that about it. Okay, um, from where you started to this, which is now going to air, what failed or what fell aside or what did you think was going to happen? Oh, my God. Do you have all night? (laughs) (laughs) 
I think we had a couple of arcs that seemed really, really great at the time, and it, and I think that they still are great, but they just didn't fit in the season. And so, you know, there was, and I, I, we absolutely, I think, um, tried to put anything that we started to bed. I, I don't think we ever dropped anything, but it just, it was the nature of, it's season one and it's a candy store and there's so many stories and everyone has so many good ideas and um, you kind of get something on one track and it just, there's not enough room for it or something else springs out of um, a performance and you end up going, oh, maybe that'd be a better thread to chase. And so I would say, you know, a, a couple of the arcs, which we can do next season or, you know, the season after or whenever. Um, I would say that would be, and again, going back to with so many people on screen, um, it just, it, you know, there's only an hour a week. I think for me, the, I can speak for the ones that I wrote or the episode I wrote that what I failed, I, I think I, <clears throat> because the balance of, character and you're still in a procedural, you know, crime drama where you want turns and you want to be surprised and you don't want to see who who done it coming. I feel like the sharpness of I guess the element of surprise. I feel like we I I could have done better. And and uh breaking really sharp surprising cases sometimes it, th that stuff fell off a little bit because of the because the character stuff is i mean i always think it's why writing rooms are necessary because they're so you know you're telling the 1012th variation of this emotional moment or this motive for a crime and and you need that collection of brains and incredible it's so much work to make the procedural work in a way whereas it's so much suffering but when the character sings, they sing, and you sort of look at the page and go, wow, where'd that come from? Um, and that never happens with a plot point, like almost ever. Um, okay, flip side, what was the pleasant surprise? The unexpected, my God, that worked, or wow, this is, wow, we have, I thought this was a weakness, it's a strength, anything like that along the way? And maybe not just in the writing room, like anywhere. Uh, the pleasant surprise for me, I mean, Lee uh, wrote the finale, which was really hard to do. It's a big finale. It's yeah. a big finale, uh, and I think it was for me watching it such a pleasant. Uh, um, like you say, any like season two is well set up. It's well set well up. Well set up. And yeah. season one is also well tied up, yeah. which I think is an incredible uh, feat. Yeah, I was very impressed with how many strands there were going. And it's exciting, the finale, and that's hard too because you're so fucking tired. Thanks. <laughs> um, I should say, I think one of the successes for the season was our amazing room that all came out tonight. Yeah. Um, and stand up, stand up, stand up. Stand up. Yeah, come on, stand up. We were blessed with um, an incredibly, as you can tell, supportive room um, with very generous writers in it. And um, that's not always the case. And these are people who, um, you know, would give you the story version of the shirt off their back, which is the juicy kiss from their episode or the, you know, emotional um, nugget that makes your episode sing and, um, you know. I think that was, I love them. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> wow, maybe I should just leave it at that and <laughs> hand it off. Um, we are going to take questions from the audience. I will ask one last question, which these podcasts usually begin with, and I only sort of did, which is how did you become a TV writer in the beginning? Did you set out? I know, Adam, you were a playwright, so that might shorthand it. And then I needed money. Yeah. Me too. Me too. <laughs> I had to have a baby, and then I was like, oh, my God. Um, yeah, I was like incredibly fortunate to... Alana Frank uh, came to see one of my plays and left me that amazing message when I had, I think, $76 in the bank. And 
said, I saw your play and you should really write for television, which is like, you know, that, that dream call. And, um, and then I worked on Rookie Blue, the first season with Tassie Cameron, Sammy Chellis, Estes Spalding, and if like anyone is ever blessed with that kind of <laughs> um, internship or apprenticeship, uh, it was just like, I, I felt so lucky that I was mentored by those women because yeah, you just don't get that kind of, <laughs> you can't pay for that. And did you have a desire to show run or when did you realize you did? well into my staff staffing career I did I, I think um, the managerial money ball putting a room to putting a team together I grew up playing baseball um, that part of the job and I started to feel like the more writing rooms I was in like I think I could really get into putting a team together and trying to support and have that team uh, have a winning season and and that part of it grew more and more attractive to me. But I, you know, the, the balance is you, you miss writing a lot because so much of it is rewriting and so much of it is managerial and and I say that in the, in, in the best way, but it is a real, I think, service. Totally, I've, I've ferociously cling to a certain minimal amount of writing just for my own sanity and to be able to take the room, sorry guys, I gotta go home and write for, you know, build that into the schedule because you sure miss it. Um, Lee? Um, well, my my path also, also starts with Alana Frank. Um, I had a, uh, I interned with her um, when in my last year of school and uh, I went to Humber College and just giving it a plug. <laughs> <laughs> um, and after the internship left, I kind of said, hey, can I stay here and keep learning and you don't have to pay me and I won't eat much, but like, can I just, and Alana was like, all right, fine. And then um, a few months later, the show that was in development with Alana, which was called Copper at the time, got ordered. And um, I became a writer's assistant and, you know, as Adam said, the, the people on that show, I mean, that it, Phenomenal um, people to learn from. Like, I mean, it really was like the dream team of. Yeah. I mean, we talk, we wax, but you know, but but yeah, Morwen Brebner, Russ, Sherry White. It was like you know, all people now who are who are doing pretty well. And did you want to write? Did you know you wanted to write? Were you writing at that point? Oh yeah, like for absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, well, we will turn over to the audience for some Q&A. Please, if you can, wait for the microphone to come because we're recording this for the podcast. Loved it. Uh, what, if any, is your relationship with Sally Wainwright? She's seen it, and she said, you know, and she liked it. Um, but that's pretty much it. We've never met her. Uh, Alana went over when she was uh, trying to, to to get the rights for the show. Alana went over and met Sally and Nicola. and Nicola. But we have never met. I would love to meet her someday. Um. I just want to say that it's kind of cool that the episode is shot in Toronto and how great it is that it's not a, a series that is like so like Canadian and it's just literally filmed in Toronto. It's just so amazing. Um, when you write the episode, like the whole series, season one, and you get the green light from the network, um, how does it go when you start to filming? Did you start filming and you were already written all this, all the season one or do you guys write... You know, you film one episode and then now you're writing on episode five. So how does that work? Um, after the show was, was greenlit, the writing room was, was put together. And then I think there were 12 or 13 weeks of development leading up to going to camera. So that's the time when the writing room is trying to <laughs> get as many scripts in play um, as we possibly can. And I think on this one we had... We had up to five and uh, an outline for six. And then they got rewritten. Um, but, and then seven days, an episode to shoot. And so you're 
you know, as episode one is shooting, episode two is prepping, and then once the train leaves the station, there's no turning back. So, so episodes six through ten um, have less and less time to to bake, which sometimes is a good thing. I have a writing question. As you have an idea for um, a show or something to create, and you only have a little bit of the piece or the vision, how do you fill in the blank um, as you're writing, let's say, like a mystery or a cop show um, in a way that would keep your audience entertained and surprised? Uh, what is your process, or what does that storyboard look like? Um, I think, I mean, I, I feel like my process and I think everyone else's, like everyone's process is different is um, generally if there's um, a mystery or if there's something like a clue or something that needs to drop, um, I don't know if you always know going in. A lot of the time um, I often will, if I can't figure it out, I'll let it go and then it will come in the shower or like at a completely and you're like, that's it. And then you rush to, to, to write it down. Um, sometimes it helps to jam it out with someone else. Um, I think in terms of arcing, you know, a story, it, it's always useful to go in with, um, this is going to happen here. This is where the turn will be. This is how it resolves. And then to just build the, you know, to have the skeleton of that and then build on that. And that's, I think, it's always kind of just the question of what would really happen and, and then using that as a guide. At least for me, that's kind of how it goes. Um, not necessarily in the actually written part, but as you're going along, how far in advance is like your headspace in as you're like writing the episodes and like finishing season one now? How far are you into season two in like that headspace, like kind of planning ahead where the arcs and stuff like that? You're, you're um, ideally to have the whole thing in your head. Uh, I've found the more I do this job, there's a great book on writing called Bird by Bird. I don't know if you've Anyone's read it by Anne Lamont, which is like my one of my favorite books on writing ever. And the the title comes from her little brother had an assignment due about birds, and he was like ten, and uh, he had the whole semester to do it, and he didn't start it at all. And the night before the assignment, he burst into tears um, to his father, and he was like, "I didn't start it, and I have this thing due tomorrow." And and he sat down and said, "Just take it bird by bird, buddy, and and start with the chir uh, the chickadee and everything you know about the chickadee." And so I feel like show running for me is bird by bird um, a, a lot of the time while trying to keep the whole thing in your head but giving attention to deep deep attention to the one that's up and maybe the one that's in breath. A lot of it's just knowing where you are and how much time you've got left and where you have to get to and whether you're on track for that or not. Yeah. And also really helps to have two people. That, that's one where it really helps to have two people. Like you think about the odds, and I'll think about the even ones. And um, great show, you guys. I just wanted to follow up on the Sally Wainwright question because some of us here have seen like all the Scott and Bailey's, and I feel like you made the decision to kind of do your own thing, like to kind of take that as you, you said as an inspiration. I just wondered if you could. Talk about that a bit. Um, I think the feeling was if, you know, if, if it's going to be made for a North American audience that, um, y that you need to stay true to the material, but you also need to uh, make sure that it speaks culturally. Um, and so, and uh, y the adaptation, you have the, the great quote of the, the Steve Martin. Oh, yeah, it's like, a, it's like a marriage. Doing an adaptation is like a marriage. Yeah. 
And you get married first, and you're just like in love with everything about it, and then there's a transgression, and you cheat, and then you have to get divorced from the, <laughs> the adaptation. So I think that's that kind of beginning, middle, and end to the, to the adaptation. That was Steve Martin was, I think was talking about adapt. Someone was adapting one of his novels, Shop Girl, and he's like, you gotta, you gotta cheat on me, and then you have to divorce me. So I think we have, we went through that process. We yeah. just loved every. I mean, because the, the show is so great. Um, and for me too, it was like the emotional truths of those characters was really important to kind of keep. But then the like, then yeah, it's so it's so Manchester, and you know we don't have Toronto's not Manchester, and so it was like finding. And also, then the cast came in, and it and it kind of took on a life of its own. sound okay um you have some pretty intense personal stories going on amidst the procedural so i wondered how much of that did you have to work out in advance and how much of it do you develop as the as the season goes on um i think that we i mean we had big chess piece moves we had tent poles in terms of relationship wise where we wanted people to be emotionally um and then if those shifted, they shifted maybe an episode down or an episode forward. Um, but it was generally, um, I would say we had that stuff pretty figured out. Um, we maybe didn't always know how we were going to get there, but we definitely knew where there was. And I'm not saying cheat if you're married. That, that wasn't the analogy. It was not like you don't have to cheat. It's not in an adaptation, you have to cheat. If you're married, you don't have to cheat. You can just get divorced. You could just get divorced and then yeah, meet someone else that you... Fabulous show. Thank you so much for producing this. Um, a question I had about the writing. Um, it, uh, it's really, really powerful. And just wondering about how you ensure that the procedural part is correct? Do you have writers on set who are police officers? Or how do you do that part to ensure that it's genuine? We had uh, amazing consultants on the show. Uh, Matt Crone, who was like a... An institution. An institution, who I think every writer who's worked on a cop show has received Matt Crone's beginning. He gives this seminar to which is just gruesome. Like, it's just, like, crime scene photo after crime scene photo to... And he, he like, revels in watching writers look at disgusting pictures, and then he'll leave one up for the lunch break. <laughs> so you're just looking at... Anyway, so we had Matt Crone, we had Pauline Gray, um, and Matt would come on any... Like, uh, on the days when we were shooting homicide scenes, there was always a homicide detective or ex-homicide detective on scene because so that we didn't you know do things without gloves or like like me just, <laughs> so that we didn't do that or the actors didn't do that kind of stuff and like lee said like wendy would um insist on it if we didn't have someone there so just the the, the getting it right and looking right doing it very good and there was a lot less gore on this as compared to a lot of police shows? Was that done on purpose? I really like that. I think so, yeah. And and also gun play, you know, it was so funny. My my four-year-old son was watching, watched the trailer of the detail. I knew I worked on it. And then he watched the trailer and he turned to me and he was like, I thought we didn't like guns. Because in the trailer, there's there's some guns. But I think we also were like, really didn't want guns flying out all the time. And that that... that you know, homicide detectives, it is about talking and it is about, you know, cracking cases with your head and not with your gun. And, and I think we're both, and, and obviously all writers are drawn to that more than shooting people, I hope. Hey guys, um, quick question about when you were staffing your writer's room um, and the qualities and the experience that you were looking for in the writers that made up your roster. Um, I think it, it. I think having um, 
a writing room where everyone brings a different quality um, and making sure, you know, I think you you get a kind of quick idea. Like, I think people always sort of know what their strengths are or what they're drawn to as a writer, and I think it's always best if you're honest about that as, this, as opposed to being like, I'm good at everything. Because, you know, some people are really, really good at character and some are really good at, you know, um, procedural or some people are really good at um, structure. Um, and so I think it's just sort of finding that kind of perfect mixture uh, with as many different types of... Um, points of view and, and as many different, um, that everyone brings their own sort of unique skill and voice um, and just a spirit of generosity. Yeah. And it's great to have one wild card in the room. We won't tell you who the wild card in our room is. Uh, so we're living in the era of peak TV now, as we all know. So when you're developing a, a show like this, especially a police procedural, how do you make it stand out and, and rise above the noise? Well, for me, the, um, <clears throat> and I, I can talk about Tom and Kathleen really talking about procedural. They talked a lot in development and in the noting process about how much procedurals have changed. And I think the character, the emotional truth and the real, real kind of stuff that often would get glossed over in procedural, I think now is audiences expect. And also the amount of story that, you know, you can tell. Um, so I think that, I think it is that what you what Bruce is saying, but the the marriage of the, the personal and the procedural and, and not having it be um, so cooked or try to not show how cooked it is. Have you uh, re-watched uh, Scott and Bailey having done season one and is there anything um, that you think you did better? <laughs> All modesty aside. <laughs> Well, Hayden. <laughs> um, yeah, we've, we've watched season two. Um, I don't think we've done anything better, but I do think we've done things e equally good um, or different, uh, obviously. Um, I think, you know, uh, it's the show just sort of takes on its own life um, at a certain point, and the the just the the nature of the beast it just becomes uh less of an adaptation as time goes on we did five um original scripts in the room um and i think some of those are the best episodes of the season um so yeah i yeah, mean not better but i think it are it's a more diverse um cast. I think the guest stars are, I mean, obviously Manchester, a, it's a limited, um, um, you know, population, but I feel like our, our, the show is, is very diverse and I, I, I think not that it's better, but it's better. Hi there. Um, so you both spoke about how Elena was um, a great um, fairy godmother almost in terms of uh, the initial opportunity that you both got into the industry and the writing part of the industry. I hope it's not coming back around to the same question, but how did you find the second opportunity? You know, how did you not go, oh, geez, this was a great thing, and then just deflate? <laughs> You know, how do you stay aware of other rooms? Anything? That's a great question. I think whatever room you're in for the first time, I would work as if all the people in that room will be running a show the following year. And not that you're kissing ass, but I think putting in um, an, uh, an, uh, an incredible effort of work ethic, also being someone that is a team player because writing rooms are 
like it is such a team sport, television writing, and you're spending a lot of time with the same group of people, and to work with it, like Lee said about our writing room, with a generosity and an openness, always, I, I think you will then, someone will go on to another show and say, you know, who's fantastic, Lee, we have to bring, so I think it is just, um, yeah, working really hard, write really well, and, um, and be a really kind person. Yeah, just to add to that, it definitely, every single job I got after my first sort of break was given to me by someone else, by someone in the room that I had worked with. So um, it's really true. Like the, the, the work as though everyone in the room is going to have a show one day because that's exactly it. And if, if I didn't directly get hired by someone who I'd worked with on someone else's show, then I got either my foot in the door or an interview because of um, someone else's uh, putting in a good word for me. So... Um, hi, my name is Paula, and uh, amazing. Um, in terms of, I, I hear you say once you, so especially, um, especially those that got the opportunity to be on set a lot more than maybe other writers, you said, you know, once you saw it or once you saw an actor tripping over a line, you realize things that you had to change things, so you had to adjust uh, how much changes really when you see it. This is I'm an actor, and so from from the other side, how much do you have to tweak what you do to accommodate what they're doing or how they're interpreting what you wrote? I feel like you're always tweaking. Like I feel like it's um, you know, or even if 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 the the, if the actor says it in a way that's more comfortable for them, you know, it, you might not even have a conversation about it sometimes. The line just might come out that way. And, you know, the script supervisor might be about to, and you're like, no, 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 it's fine. That's, it's good. Good. that's good, it's good. Um, so it's sort of always, I think there's always, it's, it's, there's always a process of um, changing. And then it's, a, yeah, and then added to that, there's also the balance of wanting the rhythm of what you've written to kind of play, you know, like, and their actors, like Shanae never, like, word perfect, never changed the line, never, like, she just, just played what was on the page, which in television is rare, <laughs> and, but, uh, 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 it's, it's a back and forth, because there is always tweaking, there is always changing, but sometimes the rhythm of a scene gets blown, especially for me, my pep is, like, adding words, you know, because a lot of actors to make it feel more natural and comfortable add or trail off or, or uh, do like you know and and sometimes the rhythm of scenes gets killed so it is a kind of back and forth and some things they have to say in order for the procedural to make sense yes, or the or the actor's <laughs> other line the response you know they're responding to a word you didn't say yeah. Yeah. thank you Um, I don't want any spoilers, but I'm just curious because with this episode, we see how the murder case mirrors Jack's personal life. And I'm wondering if that's going to be a similar setup throughout the season. And if it is, does it make it hard for both to coexist, to have a murder case and a character's personal life intertwine? I think some episodes it's more mirrored than others. Sometimes the the vibe of the the world we're in or the the case will be reflected in the in the leads like um or in the energy of the the episode so it's not always as kind of thematically on on point as it is in the in the pilot i don't think no i think it's a sort of balance between the two some episodes kind of it feels more like that and then some episodes the procedural sort of takes center stage Wow, okay. Um, so you said that it takes around seven days to write the episode. Not to write, to, to shoot. Oh, to film, sorry. Yeah. That was, well, okay. 
going back to the writing part of it, um, you write outlines and then you go into the script. Um, how much time do you spend in the outline? And do you think it's like it's something that you really want to base yourself on? Like you should spend a lot of time on that and then the script will come right away? Or how does that work? It, I think it depends on what kind of writer you are. I think it's different for everyone. I think um, when you're writing an out, I mean, certainly you want an outline that um, tells the story to, you know, you're handing it to someone else and they have to be taken through all of the investigative clues and all of the um, character moments. And so all of that needs to be fairly sussed out. Um, but that said, it's always a delicious surprise when someone hands in a draft that has something that's not in the outline. Um, because, you know, sometimes you blow all your wad in the outline and then you get to the draft and it's like, here's a joke that everyone's already read like five times. <laughs> it's so true. And I think it's, uh, it's a really great point. Also for young writers to, as much as you can, don't deliver the outline to your showrunner. Like, we've, we've read the outline, it's the blueprint, and now it's time to dig in, put all your gold dust and all your guts into it, and not like, you don't want to have read it. And I think it is often, because it's such a fleshed out document, and because it's such a vulnerable and scary thing to do, writing, it's often like, here, here, this, this got approval, so just this again, but with some more dialogue in it, and, and I think, as much as you can, use it as your blueprint to spring off from and surprise the showrunner and the network execs and because um, it is amazing when it comes to life in draft. So in other words, work really hard at all stages. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I shouldn't stand up, but um, great episode. And um, being newer to um, screenwriting and, and TV writing and TV rooms and so on, I just wondered in following up on that question about how long you'd give somebody to write and just in terms of where does the network come in? Like, do you have to deliver those outlines to the network? Do they have to agree that this is the arc we want the storyline to follow through the season? And, and, and how precise are they at that point? I think I've given you like a zillion questions. Oh. <laughs> They're involved at every step. Uh, the first document is a pitch page, um, which is a, two pages, a page. It's never a page. I tried one year to <laughs> make everyone fit it on a page. It never works. Then it's like um, a pitch page, which is just the stories and prose paragraphs. That's got to be um, approved by the network. Outlines are noted sometimes heavily um, and it is a real back and forth dialogue with the network and uh, especially in the development process it can be uh, where you really earn your money it's staying with the episode as Lee said that you've written rewritten and written it staying with it and and continuing to, to have it have a heartbeat because it can often get, and not the number, the notes are usually really good, but there's a lot of people noting it on this show. It was, yeah. IC, you know, internally Atlanta, ICF, E1, Bell Media, Ion. So, so you're getting a lot of notes, and so your job as a television writer is to not have the episode. You don't want to see the notes in the the final product, which is a skill. Sorry if I may ask, following up, how long does one get to write an episode? Like generally, I'm sure it varied per, and depending on the amount of notes, but. I think WGC says. I think it's 14 days. Often writers will write it um, quicker than that. Um, it's usually, uh, you know, it can, it, it ranges, it depends on, it depends on how fast the writer is. It also depends on, um, 
you know, how, how much breaking time they were given. Um, I think a general rule of thumb is to kind of, if there is, if the time is there, people should take as much time as they need. Cause often if someone's not handing something in, it's because they're just trying to make it better. It's not like they're hoarding it and uh, they're, it's, they're working on it. They want it to be the best it is. And I think we generally were take as long as you need yeah, to. It was like Nalady, Nalady, who's an amazing, amazing writer who wrote episode five. And we're like, is Nalady still writing that first draft? And then she, yeah. And then you, she delivered this first draft that was like ready to shoot, yeah. you know? And you're like, oh my God. And, and it was just this like, I don't know if you're a perfectionist, but it was like, a, I'm not giving this to you. And, so, and then you know, like Joe would write something and read it to you. They want you to hear it. So we'd re he'd write it and then read it right away. So I think different writers have a different process. It's like, I, wanna, I just wrote this and it's fucking great and I want to read you the scene. Or I'm holding this until I know it's great. So I think it does vary. And also for me, the, your level of experience. Like as a showrunner, I would really want to give, if it was someone's first script or someone's first half script, a real... Uh, with more time and and also as a showrunner I think it's important that you're not expecting someone who's never written an hour of television script to come in in the same way that you're expecting Katrina's script to come in or you know so so it's like also your level of experience I think you do have to weigh weigh that as a showrunner but we should be clear television is a deadline based medium and writers get asked to write very quickly, maybe not at first draft. Maybe you can find the time for them to get some time and some headspace for first draft, or maybe for second draft when you've thrown their first draft out and they really deserve a little recovery time. But part of the job is also turning things around immediately because they got to shoot. So they're being able to write fast is a really often, oftenly used skill. Is that the part you can pick two. So it's fast, good, and cheap, and you have to pick two. Yeah. Fast and cheap. Okay. First of all, I really enjoyed that episode. It was awesome. Thank you. And um, my question for you is: You guys obviously put a lot of thought into your characters and I see so much backstory to them already in the first episode but how um, basically as the actors are cast how much do they reflect what you had in mind at the type at the time that you were writing or like how, how much did they turn out like your idea of what they were supposed to be or did you even have an idea of how the character would be I did and I always write with actors in mind and then the casting process is a very you know everyone has their say and sometimes it's not the casting that not the person that I was writing for and most of the time it's such a it's way better um and I found that in the, there was a couple which I won't there's a couple casting choices in this that I was like that's the wrong and I'm I was wrong both times like really wrong because I think they're phenomenal in the episode, but it was just not what I envisioned. So it's also knowing when, you know, Alana Frank is re is really a, a really it was really good at casting too, which is a lot of those guest stars. You know, Alana's at every casting session, which most EPs like her are not, and also the directors are at every casting session, which I think, if it, if you can, makes a huge difference. Also, where it's not all on tape, where it's not you know being in the room. With actors, I think, you know, and it's and it's not always possible, but Alana makes a priority, and I think it shows in her shows. Um, I just have a quick question. Um, as a writer, um, do you get pissed off when higher-ups chime in and want to change things around? I just want your honest opinion on that. Like, if you actually get pissed off. Yes, we do. <laughs> I quit how many times? Three times? I think I quit three times. No, I, I, I didn't quit three times, but, but um, yes. It's really hard. It's really hard. Um, it's really hard. <laughs> I 
because we care. And so do they, a lot. But I do think that, I'm gonna keep talking because I'm gonna <laughs> talk myself out of this one. Um, I do think that is, like, everyone has the same super objective, which is to, for this show to be a huge, 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 huge success. And so there is something so moving about that, even if you're disagreeing, even if you're quitting, even if you're, that ultimately, it's what I find so moving about this process, is that it is probably 150 people with the same objective moving really fast and there's there's it's just um really like nothing else it really is i also think that notes that piss you off sometimes are picking out a wound that you already knew was there yeah. and so it's like oh god you saw that <laughs> <laughs> well thank you all very very much for coming thank you very much to lee and adam thank you, thank you. Sit the bar You've been listening to Writers Talking TV, presented by the Writers Guild of Canada. All the podcasts in this series can be found on the Writers Guild website, wgc.ca, and at iTunes. Thanks to the team at Tiff Bell Lightbox and to our podcast producers, Philip Vukovic and Devin Robbins. I'm Bruce Smith. Thank you for listening.